Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we've got another NFC East win to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 382. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films so we can break down the Eagles' big win over the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon at Lincoln Financial Field. What were our big takeaways from this win? We're going to get into that and preview Sunday's matchup against the Washington football team, the second time in three weeks that these two teams will match up. Before we get there, though, a couple couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, make sure you head on over to our Apple podcast page. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you've got a question, we will break it down for you here on the show. So really appreciate everybody that has gone and done that. And it's not just uh, for you to be able to leave us a question and answer it, but it also is the best way to throw us your support. It helps boost the show up in our rankings. Our numbers are doing great, and I really appreciate everybody that has done their part to go on and leave us a rating, leave us a comment. And if you haven't yet, now I'm asking. I'm going to ask nicely. Please, if you can, just take 30 seconds of your time. Go on, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you ask a question, we'll answer it here. I uh, really appreciate everybody that has done that lately. Uh, the All-22 review, my breakdown, my film breakdown, all the stuff we're talking about here with Greg here in this show this evening, we're going to break it all down over on that segment. You can go find that over on the Eagles YouTube page. It should be live by the time you're listening to this podcast. Also, be sure to go check out my post-snap read, an article I wrote uh, on Monday evening for uh, covering the Eagles defensive line and some of the things that they've done, uh, not just this past week, but over the course of the season. So I did a little bit of an analytical look and then also uh, some uh, some film work from this past game against the New York Giants. That said, uh, let's get to our chat now with Greg Cosell. We'll break this game down in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, excited to be joined here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast by NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, let's share our thoughts here on the Eagles' win over the New York Giants. Obviously, a little bit of a tale of two halves, right? That first half, uh, ugly, certainly on offense. Uh, special teams, there were some uh, there were some mistakes, and defensively, some missed opportunities. But uh, the team bounced back, and I thought it was a full, complete team win with what they did in the second half. But uh, let's start on the offensive side of the football. I guess just kind of general takeaways uh, after coming away from watching the film on Monday morning. You know, it was an odd offensive game to me in terms of watching what they tried to get done because I almost felt like they played offense a little bit knowing that the Giants were not going to score. And I think you understand what I mean by that. You know, I I felt like that they were – not that this is a team that comes out and tosses it all over the yard. They don't do that. But I felt even within the context of how they play – it just seemed a little conservative to me, and and that's okay because, look, this is a team – we know that they run the ball well, but, you know, their defense has played at a really, really high level for oh, seven, eight games now, which has sort of been an overlooked element of this team. And playing against a, a quarterback making his first start, who, quite frankly, you and I both did coming out of college, and he's very limited, and they know that, and – you know, I think they probably felt that they weren't they didn't necessarily need to have to score a lot of points to win. So it, it almost struck me as let's let's not turn the ball over. Let's let's just do our thing. And over the course of four quarters, we're going to win the game. And essentially it, it played out that way. 
Yeah, and I think it was one of those games too. You know, obviously you know, you're watching the game on TV or you're at the stadium, and there's uh, you know the run the ball chance, and certainly that kind of chatter of like, oh well, you know, there was too much passing early on, and uh, you know they got away from the, 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 the at the end of the day. Everything that they were doing in the first half, like they, they just they was not executed at a very high level. You know, you go right, to the, the first right. three and out. Uh, you had a drop from Dallas Goddard on the very first play. Uh, you know, you had the the scramble drill that was nearly intercepted on, on third down. You go to the next drive. Uh, they get the run on first down that goes for you know it goes for eleven yards. But you got uh, drop passes on a screen. You've got um, you know the the scramble drill once again. Then you come out the next drive and it's run and run that gets you to third and five, and then you go incomplete. Right. And so I think it's just like. Uh, Overall, the the offense just was not uh, hitting on all cylinders in that first half. Then they came out and they got a little bit of momentum. They started to uh, string some drives together and they were able to kind of get things going. I think, um, you know, watching Jalen Hurts, I think this is another game where you can kind of point to his ability to stick through adversity, right? Because that there were times in this game where uh, he looked uh, uncomfortable and he never really looked, um, you know, that, that he was in sync with everything that was going on around him. But I think he battled through that and ended up uh, on the backside, uh, you know, for the better. You got to, you got to see him make some big time throws uh, throughout the course of the game. His receivers went out uh, and make some big plays. Devontae Smith had a couple of big time catches uh, in this game. Quez Watkins going up and over uh, for a ball down the field. So uh, guys coming through with big catches, but uh, Jalen's ability to kind of fight through the adversity once again stood out to me in this one as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think when you're, they're not a team clearly that, that comes out throwing the football. So very often when you play the way the Eagles do third downs become critical. And if you don't convert third downs, it looks like your offense gets shut down and, uh, as we know, as good as Jalen Hurts can be and is as uh, on secondary action improvisational plays, there's still a random element to that. So you mentioned the first third down, which they were very lucky that that interception was was not an interception. Uh, you know, so those those plays you don't know because they could be good, they could be bad. But you're right, they settle down a bit. Um, you know, games like that, when you play an opponent that's not very good, very often if you don't get off to a great start, people always think, well, there's something wrong, you know, and every game is its own game and they do play four quarters. And while this was not the Eagles best offensive performance of the season, they, they fought through it. And as you said, there were some big plays and we can talk about a few specific ones that I I found particularly interesting. Um, We can do that in a moment, but it was a game they fought through and ended up and ended up winning big, you know, as the game progressed. Sure. Uh, was there, so you mentioned there were a few that stood out. What was uh, at the top of the list there? Um, it was evident to me that they really were trying to work the flood concept, which is a half field concept. And I thought when, when they ran two or three of them and you could make an argument that maybe there was one there where, where Jalen should have thrown it, but he didn't. And then I really liked what they did uh, when they threw it to Rager for 13 yards is they added the tunnel screen element to sort of create more space for the intermediate route in the, in the flood concept. Um, and I thought that was a nice little adjustment because they clearly felt that the, that the flood concept, which is a three level stretch concept, that, that that was something they, they felt they could get against the giants defense. And then they just added that tunnel screen element on the third or fourth one. And it just, it brought up the underneath coverage and created a little more space so that Jalen Hurts could feel more comfortable turning it loose. I thought that was an example of just a nice little wrinkle to create a throw. And then the other thing, you know how last week we spoke about um, uh, the third and two play to Sanders 
Sure. Uh, we, they did the exact same thing this week. They ran the exact same play with different personnel. And you know the exact play I'm talking about, where they hit Guider for 16 yards. And it was also on a third and two. And it was the exact same play with different people. And, you know, so, you know, as soon as I saw that, I noticed it just as I'm sure you did. Um, and it also went for 16 yards, but it was the exact same concept. And it was third and two, just like it was a week ago. Yep. So just that ability to create uh, yep. wider windows, uh, well-defined throws for the quarterback that that uh, the tunnel screenplay, the three level stretch that you were referring to, that was that completion to Jalen Rager on the, along the left sideline where, uh, again, you know, as you mentioned, they are they're running that three level stretch so often finding different ways to get to it where the defense has to respect that flat route and further widen that zone. And he only needed a little bit because there was still a, pr- a fairly tight throw that he had to make. And Jalen was able to get it up and over the flat defender after the pump fake to the flat. Uh, uh, so credit Jalen with a throw, credit Jalen Rager uh, with the catch along the sideline. But um, I, I did like I did like that adjustment as well, and I did notice uh, the same exact concept there uh, to Dallas Goddard. Uh, obviously, the Eagles uh, showing some creative flair as well, getting Lane Johnson involved offensively. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we saw that touchdown on the East Texas play. That was that. That's always fun, um, you know. And certainly, this is a team. You know, it's funny. Like uh, when you're having success, whether it's on offense or on defense, you start to see. Uh, that creativity come to light and the guy's just having fun. And that was a feeling you saw. Uh, and obviously, look, I'm not comparing the two teams, but you saw uh, in 2017 uh, with that team that, that went on to win the Super Bowl, you're, you kind of have, there's like a level of excitement to say like, oh, well, what's going in next? Hey, we saw Darius Slay on offense last week. Oh, Lane Johnson's catching a touchdown pass. Right, right. Uh, guys get juiced up uh, by, you know, the, by the game plan process. Uh, hey, we come in on Tuesday. Well, what, what plays got, insta- got installed this week uh, for the game plan, Coach? You, know, you, you get that level of excitement, that level of juice uh, is good for the week of prep. Yeah, and I think one of the key things with the Eagles, we mentioned third down. If When you have a quarterback that, that presents the run game element, and that's what the Eagles offense is, it's still the run game element with Jalen Hurts is still a foundational starting point of this offense. And that doesn't mean that he carries the football. But if you can get into third and short, I don't mean third and one, but let's say third and you know two to four, two to five, you've always got the run game dimension that the defense must prepare for in those down and distance third down situation because you've got the zone read element you've got the inside zone element and that can result in the defense being outflanked and so it gives you opportunities you 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 described it perfectly it gives a defined read and look for Jalen Hurts if you're going to throw it that's what happened on those plays we just mentioned the Sanders 16 yard reception on third and two last week and the exact same play this week with uh, Goddard on third and two happening late in the third quarter so you know, third and and short really becomes a difficult a difficult down for the defense because of Jalen Hurts and the run game element. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it doesn't necessarily mean that he has to carry the football. No. He only carried the ball uh, twice in yesterday's game. Um, but I think when you look at some of the plays that they called, they they still ran a couple of those counter read plays. You saw the uh, the the jet power read, that classic wildcat play with Jalen Hurts uh, down in the low red zone, right? So you still see some of those elements, just not you know we don't necessarily see Jalen carrying the football uh, in this matchup against the Giants. But um, I still think that that is a big part of that. It's not even counting the the RPO and the zone read elements that we see. Just and you might see more. I mean, this also could have been a function of his ankle still sure. healing. You know, who knows? We may see more against Washington in the yeah. upcoming game because if his ankle heals, because don't forget, Washington 
hardly saw any of it in the game on Tuesday night last week. So right. you could very well see if his ankle is, is truly healthy, and I'm sure it's getting better because I don't believe he aggravated it. So if that's the case, you certainly could see that be much more of a factor this week. No, I think that's a good point. And it's something uh, certainly to watch here uh, moving forward. Now, uh, the one big piece of injury news that we do have coming out of this game is that, uh, and we'll continue to watch the status of running back Miles Sanders, all kinds of reports yeah. about uh, the injury to his hand uh, and, and what that will mean for down the road. Nothing concrete yet uh, as of this point, but uh, him living, leaving the game and then also Jordan Howard leaving uh, with a stinger. Uh, this brings the Eagles back to where they were a few weeks back, where you're leaning a little bit more into potentially more Boston Scott, potentially more Kenny Gainwell, yeah. uh, and obviously that changes the picture a little bit with this rushing attack in terms of who's carrying the football. Right. I don't know if it would change their approach. It just changes who's carrying the football. Right. Because I think this is who they are, and this is who they have to be. Yep. I mean, I, I think, let, let's say Howard and, and Sanders can't go, and obviously people, I think, know that we do this on Monday evening, the day after the game. Right. So we have a whole week before things you know, play out. But let's assume that's the case they're not going to all of a sudden have Jalen Hurts drop back 45 times. That's not going to be the result if Sanders and Howard can't go. Right. And it's, it's just that you're going to see, like you said, different people carrying the football. Uh, up front on the offensive line, I thought we saw some really good blocks from Landon Dickerson. Uh, I thought Lane Johnson showed up once again. I thought Jordan Mailata had some impressive blocks. So uh, those guys continuing uh, to do good work. Obviously, they, they did not hit that 175-yard mark, Craig, uh, for the first time in eight weeks, uh, but uh, still a good day uh, on the ground from the offensive line. And overall in protection as well, uh, yeah. I thought that they, uh, they held up well. You know, it was one of those performances. It just seemed like it took a little time for them to get going, but it, it certainly wasn't a bad performance. I mean, you know, you talk about the O-line. I think the O-line, we've come to expect that they're going to play pretty well every week. It's a really good O-line. They're playing at a high level. You know, the, the, the 130 is just a number. It's not as if they got, got 130 because the O-line struggled. That's not the way the game right. played out. And to me, like I'm just even just looking at the first half drives, uh, you know, that that third drive or the fourth drive uh, that gets stalled stalled out because of a uh, what was essentially a ticky tack blocking the back penalty on Dallas Goddard uh, on a on an inside zone run, and then uh, the offensive pass interference against uh, Devontae Smith on the on the uh, the screen play that, that was yeah, uh, I remember that one. call. I mean, yeah. you know, you get some of those that go your way, and all of a sudden instead of uh, first and ten, we're moving the football. Well, now it's first and 20. And I was like, all right, well, now that kind of changes the scope of how you're attacking the defense uh, moving forward. And so uh, a couple of drives there in the first half that certainly kept points off the board. Uh, Greg, let's go over to the defensive side. Obviously, a group that uh, with their starters on the field allowed three points. Uh, three of those points came on the on that short field uh, after, you know, so <clears throat> some of the uh, the shorter drives offensively. But uh, this defense uh, continues to show up in a big way, uh, as they have really over the last couple of months. Oh, absolutely. and. You know, as we've been talking, I think that's been overlooked because of their offense and, and the run game, which has obviously been so good that they historic, really, for a seven-game stretch. So uh, I think their defense has played really well. And I think this D-line, even without Brandon Graham, who's a great player in his own right, this D-line has really been the driving force to me. And, uh, you know, the names are familiar. Fletcher Cox playing well. Hargrave's playing really well. Um, but I think the rookie Milton Williams, uh, every week to me, he stands out. Um, we'll talk a little more about the rematch with Washington momentarily, but every week Milton Williams stands out to me. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he does to you as well. Um, I think that they play multiple ways in, in terms of how they use their personnel. They play Avery as the Sam linebacker on the line of scrimmage in their nickel. They also play a 4-2 nickel where Singleton and Edwards are on the field. 
although they started the game, what was interesting, the first third and long, which I found very interesting, they had Avery in the game with Edwards, and they actually blitzed him with a blitz stunt concept where he was the looper and Cox was the penetrator. And uh, and then we saw Josh Sweat on that play as well, just eat up the right tackle and hit Fromm's arm. And Josh Sweat's another guy because the sack numbers have not been there and because he does play a lot of snaps inside either at the four technique or the four eye or, you know, where, where he's not really a pass rusher. But when he lines up on the edge, Fran, he's a really, really good pass rusher. Yeah, I mean, his ability to win high side with a couple of different yep. moves he's got. I mean, he could still win with that long arm. He's got a couple of different tools in his bag. Uh, and it's funny, that that rush that you mentioned where they ran that game with Jannard Avery inside, he um, looked on that play because uh, you look on the other side, they had the tight end chipping Derek Barnett. Uh, my guess is the running back was going to chip uh, on Josh Sweat on that play before releasing. Uh, but he had his eyes inside because Jannard Avery's looping inside. He all of a sudden can't help. Matt Parrott, the right tackle, he's under setting. I think he's expecting some chip help there that never came. Uh, and that's thanks to that uh, that game that you yeah, right inside, and it leads to the uh, the incompletion on third down. You know, and I also like what they've been doing a bit. They didn't play much dime in this game. They no. played almost all – the whole game was played almost in the nickel. But they they do play dime. And one thing we've seen when they play dime is Fletcher Cox at wide 9D end and, and Derek Barnett inside as a stand-up D tackle. And at times they run stunts from that look. I remember, and as I'm sure you do, when Fletcher Cox was at Mississippi State, he lined up quite a bit as a wide nine defensive end. And I actually thought watching his college tape, and this goes back a number of years now, because what Cox has been in the league. 2012, yeah, 2012 draft. Yeah. Um, I thought Cox had the ability coming out of college to line up and be a defensive end the way he rushed the quarterback. So, you know, obviously he's later in his career now, but in in the dime, they often do that. And that's something just to keep an eye on as we go forward. Yeah, it's something they did uh, two Tuesday nights ago. Uh, now, right. or I guess one Tuesday night ago, depending on when you're listening. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but uh, against the Washington football team, as the Eagles try and find ways to to dictate matchups, and I think that's yep. something that we've seen uh, over these last couple of weeks, really since the bye, is that they're they're mixing up where these guys are lining up, and it's helping to create some of those one on ones. I talked about the the use of stunts. The Eagles uh, over the course of the season they run stunts at a lower rate than any team in football. But I think that against the Giants, it seemed like uh, they ran a bunch that were really effective, not just against the, the pass, um, but a couple of those draw plays got eaten up by yeah, stuff. Those, yeah. those are draw killers. Um, you know, just because you, you're expecting that the defensive line is going to rush up. You have a delayed lineman uh, coming in inside across the running back's face. That is going to kill that draw play. But I think overall uh, that was one of the things that, that stood out to me from this game is that the Eagles uh, ran some more games up front than what we've seen from over the course of the year. I would agree with that. Uh, I also thought that in the run game that Edwards and Singleton were very aggressive. Yeah, very much so. Really good key and diagnose. They were decisive attacking downhill. I can remember a couple of plays where they released double teams because they played aggressively downhill, which is often the way it's taught. If you're a linebacker, release that double team, and then your defensive tackle ends up with a one-on-one, and normally he's got leverage because it's it was initially part of a combo block. So, you know, I thought that Edwards – and and I actually think both those guys have played pretty well over the last month or so. I know they re-signed Edwards, so they think he's a really, you know, he they think he's a building block because they re-signed him. Uh, he's been a nice player. You know, we've talked about him numerous times. And I think the last couple of weeks, Singleton has played well. 
He has. And I think when you look at his ability to come downhill, what's the difference between the way that he was playing early in the season uh, before he was benched and, and since Davion Taylor's injury, uh, I think that he has been more aggressive downhill. The ability to defeat blocks uh, has become a little bit more prevalent with him over the last few weeks than what we saw over the first few. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, he's playing a little bit faster, a little bit stouter uh, so far over the last month or so. I, I would agree with that. And um, the other player I like, and he's, he's part of a rotation, and um, he played a lot this week, even before the team got out of hand, is I think Marcus Epps is, adds a lot. He's part, basically, they play in that three safety rotation now with Epps, McLeod, and Harris. And, and I like Marcus Epps. I think that he can play in the box. I think he can play on the back end. Um, I think he's a really nice player for how they're using him. And I think he shows up every week when he gets snaps. He's a, a very sudden, explosive athlete, and uh, that shows up whether he's trying to make plays on the ball or, more importantly, when he's playing yeah. downhill. Uh, and I think early in his career, was, you know, when the Eagles first brought him in and uh, they signed him off waivers from the Minnesota Vikings, but I think even going back to last year, he would come in so hot sometimes and so out of control. It would either he'd either be going for the kill shot as a tackler and he'd bounce off, or he'd just be unable to break down and finish tackles one on one. And I think we're seeing that a little bit more consistently from him yeah. uh, this year, and uh, not just in the run game, but uh, coming downhill and intercepting uh, routes at the catch point. He had that big hit uh, against Farrell Cooper in the middle of the field, helping to yeah, just remember, that football. Yeah. Um, you know, so you're just seeing uh, his ability to be present uh, at every level of defense. I think that's big for him. No, I agree, and I think that's why he's getting more snaps. Yeah, and Roddy McLeod, a couple of big plays uh, in this game. Well, and the interception is worth mentioning because there was an example. You know, we spoke about uh, Milton Williams, and the McLeod interception was a result of um, of Williams. Um, yeah. Because that was the second play of the third quarter. It was a, You talked about the stunts. Yep. It was essentially a TE stunt. Even though it was the five-man front, it was a TE stunt with Williams, the penetrator, um, and actually it was Avery who, who made it. Williams was the penetrator. Avery was the looper and Avery drove back the left guard scorer right into the pocket. And that impacted Fromm's throw. And I think that ended Fromm's day, as I recall. But um, but that was, you know, a great example of a stunt leading to uh, a turnover because that's why the ball was picked off. That's why the throw was errant. Although there were some throws that Fromm made where there was no pressure. And I guess you could say they were errant as well. Yeah. I think he did get one more drive after that one, but did it was get one more after, after that. Yeah, I think he got one more. Uh, then they decided to go with Mike Glennon. But uh, no, this defense uh, continuing to play well. And people will talk about, oh, well, who have they played? Who are the quarterbacks they've lined up against? Um, but I don't remember, Greg, and refresh me if I'm wrong. I don't think that they were getting credit for going up against Tom Brady and Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes in the, the first five, six games of the year. I think that, you know, that was just, uh, that's the aberration now. It's like, oh, well, uh, you know, who are they playing now? Oh, they're not playing uh, starting quarterbacks right now. Now, uh, it's just funny how we, the both sides of the coin don't necessarily mesh for uh, for some people. Look, I mean, is it reality that, you know, they're playing teams that are probably not playoff teams? Yeah. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to play well as a team. You know, coaches, you know how it is. You're at practice every day, you know, training camp. Uh, you know, I'm not out there every day, obviously. Um, they don't coach like that. They're coaching to try to get the most out of their players, to put them in the best positions to, to be successful, uh, you know, to put them in the best schemes to which they can they can maximize the strengths and minimize the limitations. You know, coaches don't think in terms of, oh, well, we're playing some bad teams down the stretch. No, no coach ever thinks like that. In fact, if you talk to a coach, they'll tell you how hard it is to win on Sunday in this league, no matter who you play. This is the way the schedule has laid out. Yep. 
the defense is playing very well right now. And, and certain players are really playing at, at a really nice level. Now, hey, if they do make the playoffs, and I believe they control their own destiny. Is that true? Uh, it is. Uh, with a win this week, uh, they uh, they would clinch if Minnesota were to lose. Uh, and then if not, then it gets into you would get into week 18. But they, they could clinch this week a, a spot in the postseason. Okay, so if, if they win and Minnesota loses, they, they, they clinch this week. And Minnesota plays Green Bay, correct. In Green Bay, too. Um, yes. So, But the point is, hey, maybe they do get to the playoffs and they play a really good team and they lose. That can happen. But that's not really relevant right now. This is how they're playing. I think they're playing on both sides of the ball the way that they have to play to be successful. And it's, it's for the most part, working right now. Yeah. And look, there's no telling. You know, we don't know because it's obviously it's not reality is uh, how this defense and this offense would be playing. If you know some of those opponents from the earlier part of the schedule, if they were switched with some of the games in the right. back end. But what it, what matters is we're seeing a team under a new regime on with new schemes on both sides of the football get more and more acclimated, more and more comfortable and more and more confident. More most importantly, I would say, uh, as the season wears on. And that's really what do you want? As you, if you're a team, you want to be playing your best football in December. You want to be your you want to be at your best going into the postseason. And so uh, regardless of how that looks, who that comes against, where that where that happens, where that takes place, all that matters is you're playing your best ball going into the year or going into the postseason. And, you know, if that, that means you're beating up on lesser opponents, that's fine. But the, the other mark of one of these good teams, we say this all the time, one of the marks of a good team is the ability to beat the teams that, that you're better than, right? And so uh, I think that that also kind of speaks for itself with this Eagles team that not only is beating uh, the, these opponents, but – Beat them really handily. I mean, they've had a number of blowout wins, and you stack that up uh, against some of the other best teams in the league, and it's uh, you know the numbers are very comparable. And I would bet right now that they believe, whether it's ultimately true or not, is irrelevant. That they believe they could line up and play with and beat anybody. That's the confidence. That's what I meant from a confidence standpoint. Like yeah. I think that's so so important, and you know this from uh, talking with players and coaches is that uh, confidence is a huge huge part uh, of this game, uh, both on a micro level and on a macro level. Yeah. And the team I think has plenty of confidence uh, at this point in the season. Now uh, we'll talk about just the, what that confidence will mean here in this matchup against Washington football team. Again, a, a team that they just faced a week and change ago, Greg, uh, it's unique that this team will be facing the same opponent twice in three weeks, but uh, here we are. And look, Washington, you know, before that last game, they were on a, a little bit of a heater. They had won four straight uh, coming yeah. off the bye. This is a team that was kind of humming on offense. Taylor Heineke, one of the most efficient quarterbacks in football. That defense was playing at a really high level. Uh, then they go and they lose to the Dallas Cowboys. That was a little bit of an ugly game. That was at home. Then the then they uh, they lose to the Eagles, and then they lose again to the Dallas Cowboys uh, in decisive decisive fashion down at AT and T Stadium. Uh, for, was it was fifty six seventeen, I believe, was the final score. Uh, on Sunday night football. And they were down forty two seven at the half. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, this was not close. And so it's been a rough three weeks here uh, for the football team. Obviously, COVID-19 issues abound. Uh, there, there's all kinds of issues uh, surrounding this team. But what does the film show when you watch? We'll start on offense. Uh, they get Taylor Heineke back off the COVID-19 list uh, here for this one against Dallas. Uh, what did you see uh, from the Washington offense here in this matchup? They played a really good defense. I mean, the Cowboy defense is really, really, really good. good. Yep. Really good. Um with a lot of really good players and, and very well schemed, they play a ton of man coverage and it was a tough go. Look, right from the first play of the game, I'm sure you watched the tape. They decided to take a shot on the first play and they went to McLaurin and Diggs was playing off coverage and they, he still threw it and he, he was with him stride for stride and he made the pick. Um, you know, but it was just a tough game for them. 
from an offensive standpoint because they could never really get into what they need to be on offense. Um, what they really need to be on offense is to run the ball as their foundation. And they really could never get into any kind of rhythm doing that because the game, you know, sometimes the game starts off and even though the score might not be out of hand, you know, when you're playing and all of a sudden it's 14, nothing, it's easy to say, Oh, let's stay with our game plan. But it, it mentally, it's just not the same. And they never could really settle down and, and be what they need to be. Because I agree with you, uh, Taylor Heineke has played very well this year, probably surprisingly for many. Um, he's made some good throws. He's moved very well. He, he plays with a certain flair and mentality. Despite his size, there have been times this year where he's actually played with a physical component to his game. Um, but he's he's not necessarily you know, the kind of quarterback that if you get down and you have to rely on him, particularly when your O-line is a bit overmatched, it makes it difficult. And that game got away from them early. Something to keep an eye on, too. Uh, like you said, we're recording this Monday evening. Uh, on Monday afternoon, uh, Ron Rivera, the head coach for the Washington football team, said that uh, Kyle Allen <clears throat> will probably play uh, on Sunday against the, the against the Eagles, but that Taylor Heineke will start on Sunday. So, Interesting. Yeah, we'll see what that looks like. And we don't know if that's just if that's gamesmanship uh, on Rivera's part or if that's something that we'll actually see play out. But uh, real quickly, just what, what have you seen over the course of Kyle Allen's career? He was a, uh, a 2018 undrafted free agent by the Panthers um, coming out of Houston. He was originally a big time recruit. Six, oh, big time. Pounds. Yeah. But what, what have you seen from Allen in the NFL? Well, Allen had a stretch of uh, seven or eight starts with um, Carolina the year that Cam Newton got hurt a few years back. And there were times he showed that he could play in the league. And again, play in the league is a relative term. I'm not suggesting he was going to be a top 10 quarterback, but he lined up, he made throws. He's got a little bit of an elongated motion, which hurt him at times. Um, he, I wouldn't call him immobile, but he's essentially a pocket quarterback. Um, so he needs to be protected and he needs things to be defined. So he can line up and play. Um, if need be. So it's very interesting that Ron Rivera said that. Now, one positive for them is Brandon Sheriff came off the COVID list yep. today, Monday. So he'll be back at right guard because uh, he's missed a couple of games. In fact, he missed the game against the Eagles. And as you recall, Sadiq Charles got worked a little bit in that game, both by Fletcher Cox and at times by Milton Williams. So Sheriff, who's one of the best right guards in the NFL, being back will certainly help them uh, because they've got to run the ball. Because Eric Flowers is their left guard. He's best as a run blocker. Sheriff is a very mobile guard. So he helps their run game as well, particularly their zone run game, which is their foundation. So in an ideal world, they feel, I'm sure they feel now that they can come into this game. Uh, and, and this game's in Washington, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure they feel they can come in to this game and, and ideally get their run game going. The Eagles have not been the kind of team that jumps out, you know, in front 17, nothing in game. So they probably feel this game can can be close, can be together and they can play the way they want to play. Yeah, just watching, uh, you know, they, they try to utilize Flowers as more of a puller in this game against Dallas. It didn't always go well for no. them. Obviously, you had a couple of backups in their center. Uh, Keith Ishmael is their, I think, their fourth center. Yeah. Uh, and they had Sadiq Charles in at right guard. But uh, Brandon Sheriff returns. They got Sam Cosby back actually in that Eagles game a couple weeks ago. Uh, he didn't look great, uh, but starting to settle in, obviously. He had, a, he had a nice start to the year, I thought, uh, watching Washington earlier this year, but uh, got hurt and then uh, obviously had a little bit of a rough return. Uh, but they've got four of their five starters uh, back in the lineup. 
They are missing some key pieces offensively. J.D. McKissick was put on on injured reserve, uh, so he will not play in this game. Curtis Samuel was inactive. He's been fighting soft tissue stuff all season long, um, so he was inactive this past week against Dallas. We'll see what his status will be. Um, but really, to me, when I look at the weapons, obviously Terry McLaurin, uh, he is the go-to guy. The Eagles kept him with just two catches uh, last week uh, when the two teams played. One was that big one down the left sideline, and then uh, he had one inconsequential uh, short gain as well. But uh, yeah. I would imagine to see plenty uh, of, de- of big play slay against McLaren. Outside of that, I mean, Adam Humphreys has been kind of that go-to guy for them, especially on third down. I know that was the case last Tuesday night against the Eagles. Uh, Cam Sims has come up with them, come up for them for a couple of big catches here and there. He had that big touchdown uh, a few weeks ago against Dallas over Trayvon Diggs. But uh, I think when you look overall, the past game, it's going to all come down to trying to make sure you contain number 17. Yeah, and I think they haven't gotten as much out of the rookie Diami Brown as they had hoped. He yep. did make a big catch this week against Dallas on their only touchdown drive of the first half, yep. where he ran. Uh, I mean, it was basically a post cross combination with the backside dig. Everybody has it in their playbook, and um, uh, the post safety Kazee, you know, sat uh, sat low on the on the uh, crosser, and Heineke did the right thing and went over the top. And Brown made a really nice catch. But my guess is, as a second-round pick, Fran, they probably expected a little more from him this year. That's probably fair. Uh, and I think you know we'll continue to see if they try and feature him more in these last couple of games for them uh, down the stretch. We talked a lot about John Bates uh, and Ricky Seals-Jones last time uh, we prepared for Washington. Bates has been a really good blocker and a good piece for that run game when they've been humming. Uh, obviously, the run game has not been good the last couple of weeks, and so uh, Bates' impact has been a little less felt. But um, Bates has been more of the blocker. Seals-Jones, the uh, the former wide receiver, former big-time recruit also uh, oh, yeah. at Texas A&M, uh, he is now a converted tight end. And he, he's chipped in. He had a couple catches against the Eagles, uh, up, you know, he popped up uh, against the Cowboys as well. Um, let's go over to the defensive side, though, because this was the unit that was just hammered by uh, the COVID list, by yes. injuries. Uh, the last time these two teams played, they got a couple of those guys back. Uh, so Jonathan Allen back in the lineup, Montez Sweat back in the lineup. Uh, they lost Jameen Davis. He w- he missed Sunday's game against Dallas with uh, COVID like symptoms, not officially on the list. But yeah, I, I didn't uh, see him on the list today. But uh, again, you know, he could be on the list tomorrow. You know, exactly, exactly. Just something to watch here. Uh, moving. But Cole Holcomb will be back. Yep, Cole Holcomb. They they uh, they activated him off the COVID list, so Cole Holcomb will be back in the lineup. Uh, oh, I mean, it, it killed them this week because they essentially played the large majority of the game in a five-one yep. front, which they do anyway. It's part of what they do, but nowhere near as much as they wanted as they really want because they did not really have a second stacked backer in this game. Without Jameen Davis, without Cole Holcomb, uh, no Kaliki Hudson. I mean, they just they didn't have their they didn't have their backers uh, here in this game. So uh, you had to lean heavily into number 51, David Mayo, as that three down linebacker. He's been in the league and, you know, he's probably not a starter, you know, but he, you certainly can line him up. He played, I think, almost every snap um, and, you know, he can hold his own. But in an ideal world, the, the stack backers are Davis and Holcomb. You know, sure, right. And, and, you know, they both actually played pretty well this year. Um, and, and very often they would put Davis on the ball the same way that the Eagles put Avery on the ball. They would put Davis on the ball as a Sam linebacker. So, uh, you know, we know Holcomb will be back. We don't know about Davis. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, I don't think they, you know, maybe against the Eagles, the five one really does work because the Eagles are obviously a running team as their foundation but they still had to play way too many snaps of it. I mean, you saw a certain, there was one touchdown where, and I don't even remember his name, where a linebacker, I think number 59, played like 10 or 11 snaps, and he just got stuck. It might have been the Schultz touchdown. Uh, Yes, I believe so, yeah. Uh, Jordan Kunizic. That's it, that's it, yes. 
Um, I was not familiar with him, believe it or not. Did, were you familiar with him? Uh, yeah, he was a he was a 2019. Uh, I think he was undrafted out of Cal. Uh, he was another guy who was uh, one of many uh, on this team that uh, actually started his career in Carolina uh, ah. and then uh, made his way uh, to Washington. But yeah, they were. I remember that play. I can see in my mind right now because they were playing man, and he had Schultz, and you know Schultz blocked initially, and and he thought it was going to be a run, so his eyes went inside to the handoff, and then Schultz just broke out, and he was wide open. Now I'm not saying he's the only guy that would have you know reacted the way he did because Schultz did a nice job of showing blocking, but uh, but obviously he would not be playing in a normal situation. And the other aspect of this too is that uh, Washington has played a lot of big nickel, especially over the last few oh, weeks. They, and, a ton and, of big nickel. And Landon Collins is out. Yeah, exactly. No Landon Collins, and so he he got hurt against the Eagles. William Jackson got hurt against the yep. Eagles. This is a defense that plays a lot of zone coverage, uh, as we talked about. So no no Landon Collins, no William Jackson. That meant that Daryl Roberts uh, got the start outside at corner. We'll wait to see if Jackson will be active uh, this week. Um, Cameron Curl became more of a three down presence uh, for this defense, and he's a, a young second year player who actually has played well whenever he's been in the lineup. But then Jeremy Reeves has entered as that third safety. They did still play a decent amount of big nickel in this game against the Cowboys. That's been been a staple all year. And as we discussed prior to the first matchup with Washington, since week 10 when they beat the Bucs and started on that winning streak, they have been heavy, heavy zone. They don't play much man coverage at all. I mean, they'll play it, obviously. So I don't want people to think if they see man on on Sunday that, oh, you said they don't play much man. Well, obviously, everybody plays some snaps of man. We know that. But in terms of percentages and probabilities, they're a high percentage zone team. In fact, since week 10, there's only one team that's played a lower percentage of cover one than than Washington, and that's the Seattle Seahawks. So they've not played a lot of cover one. Uh, which is man with a single post safety. They've not played a very high percentage of cover one since week 10 when they started that winning streak against the Bucs. Well, so the Eagles have to have their uh, their zone beaters their ready. zone beaters ready, and they'll know that. They're yep. not all of a sudden going to start playing press man this week. That's not going to happen. No, I don't think so. Uh, so something to watch here uh, in this game. Well, Greg, uh, we'll be back next Monday night, breaking this all down. Uh, potentially a playoff team uh, that we'll be discussing. That'd be pretty uh, exciting, man. Uh, yeah, no Given question. How- you know, given how the year started, you know, I'm always fascinated by these kinds of things because, you know, you and I have been around. I, I've been around a little longer than you just because I'm older. Just a touch I'm o- yeah, just a few years, you know. I'm always fascinated how a season goes and how people start to think because, as you know, and this is the kind of stuff that always fascinates me. I have such respect for coaches, as you know, just like you do, because, you know, we both watch a lot of tape. I'm ridiculous. I just I grind away. I mean, I feel I feel like I'm a coach half the time just with. I have to watch so much because I can't miss anything, you know, so I, that's the way I feel. And, but I find it fascinating the way, you know, people think that these guys are, you know, if you lose a game that these guys are idiots, you know, it's like Sirianni and Gannon didn't know anything about football for the first five weeks of the season. And now if you look on social media, now they're geniuses. That's right. So I guess in the last five or six weeks, they really took a crash course in learning some football. Well, when you take the take that walk down narrative street, Greg, uh, you know, you, yeah. you're surprised by what you can find. I know, uh, I know. It's, uh, it's, all, it's I mean, always fun. Yeah, you know, the thing is, you and I, fortunately, in our careers, have had the ability to talk to coaches. And as soon as you talk to a coach, and, and I've been fortunate because of what I do, and only because I've been doing it for so long, and because I work hard at it, is when I talk to coaches, I can talk on relatively a similar level. You just find out how much they know. I mean... I went to a coaching collective this summer and I came away because I, I spent time talking to Brandon Staley. I spent time talking to Mike McDaniel, who's the o- OC for the 49ers. And I came away, Fran, I know I've told you this, thinking that 
God, I really know a lot, but I don't know anything. That's the way I came away, you know, because I could engage in the conversations, you know, and totally understood what they were telling me. Of course. But they were telling me things where I'm thinking to myself, God, why didn't I know that? You know, I understood it as soon as they were telling me, but it's like, God, I need to know that without having someone to tell me, you know, it's, these guys uh, know so much. It's ridiculous. Uh, and that's what we, you know, we try and bring to the light uh, when we, when we have these discussions is uh, we don't know what we don't know uh, more exactly. often than not. And I, and honestly, that's why I thought, uh, I'm not sure if you saw this, but there was a clip going around of uh, Jalen hurts after, after the game on Sunday, going through uh, a play you mean where on the play where, where everybody thought Goddard was wide open. He exactly. And just going yeah. through the progression and breaking the play down. And honestly, I'm going to use it this week in Eagles game plan. I thought, and he by the way, breaking it down by the way they busted the coverage you never right. you, you never go into a play with the idea that, that they're going to bust, bust the it, coverage. Right. they busted the coverage you know it's like the week four and i got asked about this um this week where uh it was against washington where he hit goddard on the crosser and and i think it was rager who might have been running the vertical right yep and he put his hand up and it looked like he was open that's an yeah. alert that they know they the, the, just to give an example, because it was against Washington. They called a levels concept because when you play Washington, you call a lot of high, low levels concepts because they play zone. OK, that's what people run against zone, as you know. So it was a high, low concept. Devonta Smith from the left side of the formation ran the shallow and Goddard ran from the same side. He ran the, the intermediate. That was the play call. Now, the vertical is an alert, meaning if the deep safety were to fall down or just race up there right away then you throw it. But if you don't throw that after a second, the vertical's dead. Now you're working the, the high-low levels concept. So just because three seconds into the play, Rager puts his hand up because he appears open, that's not the throw. That was actually a play where Jalen Hurts did absolutely the right thing. He threw it to the right guy. And that's the thing, like, you know, I remember it was it was two summers ago now, so summer of 2020. Uh, Press Taylor, uh, who was the Eagles passing game coordinator at the time, came on uh, for a coach's masterclass. We went through all the different kinds yep. of QB progressions and uh, just talking about. You can look at a, you know we talk about the three level stretch all the time. You look at it at a vertical stretch concept, right? Of the same kind of look on a chalkboard can be read out in a number of different ways by a quarterback. It might be a, a pure progression read where, hey, I'm going to work this receiver to this receiver to this receiver. And if he's open, I'm throwing to him. If not, I'm going to him. If not, I'm going to him. And just so people understand pure progression, that means that you're not reading the defense. Exactly. You're just looking right at receiver. You're looking at a receiver. So in other words, if number one's open, you throw it. If he's not open, it doesn't matter why he's not open. He's not open. Then right. you throw it to number two. Yep. You know, if number two is not open, it doesn't matter why he's not open. Then you throw it to number three. That's yeah. pure progression. You're not reading a particular defender. And, and you might be that that pure progression might be set at intermediate, short, deep. It might be right. a short to deep. It might be touchdown to check down like that might all change. There right. might be somewhere right. you're reading. You might be reading a high, low read. Hey, you're reading this defender in the four expecting cover two. You're reading the flat defender. If it's if he's short, you're throwing deep. If he's if he's deep, you're throwing short. Uh, there's all kinds of different ways. There's that all you kinds of different, different ways play. that it's taught. Yep. And, and you know, I give Jalen Hurts a ton of credit for answering the way he did and whether people understood it or not. I mean, they can go back and look at the play because it's always on game pass. Now, you know, they can go back and look at the play. You and I, I mean, as soon as I heard him say it, I knew exactly what he was talking about. And then I saw the play obviously, but you know, people who, who don't know, will see Goddard open and think, Oh, he blew it. He should have thrown it to Goddard. Well, Goddard, first of all, wasn't part of the read. And second of all, they busted the coverage. That's it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, but I thought Jalen answered it perfectly, and I was I, we're going to use it uh, this week on the show. No, that's yeah, a great idea. I'm, I'm anxious to see it actually.
Yeah, it was. Uh, I thought he was really well done. Well, Greg, uh, like I said, we'll be back uh, next week, breaking this all down. Thanks for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye of the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. All right, Fran, thanks. Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warmups brought to you live each week. When you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta, we provide Eagles-focused analysis, late-breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. Great stuff there from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. And you know I really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, or even leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out today to two people who did exactly that. We're going to start off with Downtown Eagle, who left a comment saying, Fran, love the podcast, love listening to you. Was wondering if you could do some scouting on future Eagles linebacker Jordan Venezel. Uh, number 40 plays inside linebacker for Georgia State. He's fast, he's agile, he's got perfect read off the ball. My little brother just wanted to see if you thought what you thought about his play. Still has a year after this, but would love to dream about him playing for my favorite team. Uh, Downtown Eagle, appreciate I have not done work uh, on Jordan yet, but uh, we'll see. Uh, I'll keep watching that Georgia State defense. I know I actually know some people uh, on that staff, so uh, Jordan uh, will know uh, some of my some of our mutual friends. Really appreciate you reaching out. Thanks so much for the five-star review. And then we got a great question from Michael, who jumped onto our Apple podcast page, uh, saying, Fran, have you noticed over the last couple of years that what used to be called a three-technique defensive lineman, they're now playing more four-eye technique, and one-technique defensive lineman seem to be playing more two-eye technique. And I know it varies team by team, but Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave seem to be good examples of this shift. If my observation is correct, do you have any idea why defensive lines are preferring lining up over the inside shoulder on offensive linemen instead of the outside shoulder. So, real quickly, let's just set the table before I get into this answer. It's a really good question uh, and a good observation from Michael. When you're talking about defensive line techniques, all right, if you go just odd numbers, one, three, five, seven, nine, that means you are lined up on the outside shoulder of the offensive player that you're lined up against. And again, you start as a zero technique, so the even numbers, those guys are lined up head up or just slightly inside. If you were slightly inside, you're going to get that little eye uh, attached on the back end of it. So that's why you're inside, okay? So it starts uh, on the inside. If you're head up on the center, you are a zero technique. If you are lined up outside the center, you are a one technique. If you are lined up on the inside shoulder of the offensive guard, you are a two eye. If you're head up on the guard, you're a two. Outside of the guard, you're a three. Inside of the tackle, you're a four eye. If you're head up on the tackle, you're a four. If you're outside the tackle, you're a five. You go right down the line, right? So that kind of signifies the numbers. Yes, traditionally, it's been one tech nose tackle, three tech, you've got your three technique defensive tackle. I think the big thing uh, when you're talking about the, the the changes in fronts, I don't think this is necessarily something new. I think we're seeing it a little bit more proliferated around the NFL right now, mainly because of the amount of light boxes that teams are playing. Because basically what happens when you're playing uh, with more of these unique t- kinds of alignments for defensive linemen, you're messing with the offense's ability to create double teams at the point of attack. If you're playing with a straight one or a straight three, uh, you have more clean and defined double teams for opposing offenses. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't run the ball against a 4-I or against a 2-I, 
you're just going to run different schemes. So I, I really, I think that's one big shift. Uh, it's one of the reasons why, uh, if you go back to uh, breaking down some of the film, you know, I think the big matchup that a lot of people will point to is the Chicago Bears, Vic Fangio. Uh, was that 2017 or 2018 when the, the Sean McVay offense uh, was taking the league by storm and then they hit that wall against Vic Fangio and the Chicago Bears and, you know, they set the blueprint for how to stop them, right? Well, a big part of why is they could not get the outside zone game running with Todd Gurley because they had that, uh, they had some of those tighter techniques and having those guys lined up inside that affected uh, the ability to, to create some of those double teams at the point of attack, and more, maybe more importantly, on the backside, on those two-eye techniques on the, to the weak side of that run. And so uh, that's why you'll typically see teams try and do that, is that it's going to mess with some of the double teams at the point of attack and on the backside of run plays. And again... You can do run plays against the 4i and 2i, but you're going to try and change things up. And that's why you're seeing with a lot of the light boxes uh, around the NFL that we are seeing, uh, the you're seeing a lot of teams now shift this way because you're trying to get some numbers back um, and try and get some gaps back in the run game by playing with some of these tighter alignments. So, uh, Michael, it's a, it's honestly, it's a podcast. I could probably do the whole, I could do a whole podcast just on this topic. I think it's a really interesting one, and I'm really glad uh, that you brought it up. It's a, it's a really good question, a really good observation uh, on your part. So great stuff there from Michael. Thank Thank you to him and thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week. When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella DiGiovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.